up here, we can go at least to 2 o'clock today. And since Labor Day is like, give you a little bit longer rest from your labors, right? Um, what a wonderful time of worship. And I agree with uh, what has been said, and, and uh, Brad's greeting you. If you're a guest with us, we, we're so glad that you're here today. And we wanted you to get one of the mugs. You know, everybody's got a mug or something now they give away. It's got some peppermint candy in it, so that'll help you throughout the day. Um, one of the things I brought up with me is uh, International Correspondence Institute book on the Book of Acts, Global University. Um, and uh, this is the book that I was told I needed to teach the Book of Acts at the Far East Moscow Theological Seminary in Habarovsk, Russia, back in 2001, May of 2001. I was invited to, uh, we, we were there in Moscow with uh, the Riles in September of 2000, and after that, for some reason, my name got sent to uh, Moscow Theological Seminary and said, could you come over and teach the Book of Acts in homiletics in Habarsk, Russia? And uh, I saw it was like 600,000. It was on the Muir River, just across the border from China. Uh, 15 time zones from us. So I told him, I says, I have to ask really two, two people to agree with this. Actually, one. Because it was three weeks. And the time of travel was really up to four weeks. And it's this little redhead right here. And she was all too ready to say, yeah, that's good. I thought, yeah, go for it. We're going to have fun while you're gone. <clears throat> but, um, and then my board, so they agreed. So uh, I, I really kind of hated that I didn't wait a little bit more when I asked them what should I, how should I prepare? And I said, uh, what kind of material do they have in Russian? They said, none. Zero. So you have to take your homiletic book and your Acts book and draft all your lessons, hand it to your interpreter who will put it on a floppy drive. That shows you how far back that was. And they'll translate all in Russian. And we did that every day. I would give her my notes for the next day and, and test and all this. So I, I tell you, this book has a little bit of sentimental value to me. Because it was, it was part of the stretching of my life beyond my elasticity. So, uh, but it's just amazing when I go back into Acts and I read it, it's like I've never read the book before. And isn't that the amazing thing in the Bible? Is that you can read the book of Romans and uh, you can go back through it and you just see so many things. I was, uh, I, I'm not going to be preaching on Titus, but I was going through Titus the other day and... Uh, Boy, the, the Cretans were not very good people. <laughs> and I just, the more I listened to what Paul had to say about them, I said, I, I think they were pretty bad off because there was nothing positive about them. But that's the Bible. It just makes it, it just gives you the information. And you and I have to take it and see what God speaks to us. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, this morning's message is titled Kind of Odd. It's, uh, in fact, uh, Josh's brother Tim is doing our graphics for me, and I sent him 
the uh, title, and he said, could you give me a little bit more idea of what all that means? <laughs> so what you have on the back of your bulletin is the expanded of those three words. And uh, we'll put it, there it is, power, politics, and purpose. And when you read that, it says, oh, no, we're not going to review st stuff like that. Yes, we are, but not what you think we're going to review today. Because here's the reality. When you read the book of Acts and you go through all of those scenarios, you come to this conclusion. We may be in a high-tech, computerized era, and they were like writing stuff on papyrus. But people are people and have always been people. They were flawed back then just like we are. We may have all kinds of technologies, but we face the same realities that they face, and these things was part of their reality. Systems can go into spasmodic chaos in their lives, but also in our lives. Things can get so, right, so disoriented and out of order. And uh, that, that second song where it says, you made a way, that, that's been a, a prayer for us many times, right? Lord, help, help me get through this. Make a way through this, right? And that's what they prayed many times. So this book is an amazing book. And I think after we get through this, this is my desire, is that you'll learn something today to get you through the crucibles of life, the difficulties of life, because they're coming. And if, and if you're not in one, just wait, you'll be in one. Because they come in like, some said, well, mine's coming way too often. But we, we had to figure out how to get through it, right? And we go into this book because there's power struggles. I asked uh, someone before at the coffee bar, I says, define power struggle. And they said, I've never heard that word before or that term. I said, you haven't? Well, it's everywhere. There's power struggles everywhere. So the, the biggest power struggle that we have is internal. The flesh warring against the spirit. And everybody said, amen. The carnal man does not want to die. He wants to dominate. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. So the title of this message may be a little bit misleading, but I, I give it to you because I want you to see some power struggles they went through. Jesus found himself right in the middle of all this, especially in power struggles. You think about um, they tried to pull him into political debate. And when I say uh, sneaky politics, that's, that's in the back of your bulletin. I was trying to find a good adjective, and it just fits politics, doesn't it? Sneaky politics. But uh, Jesus was, had all these people trying to trap him into something he would say, not anything like we have today, right? There's nobody ever trying to trap people into saying the wrong thing. But uh, they would bait him, and he would never take the bait. They would pose a question like the question... Uh, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, either way he answered that as a yes or no was problematic. And that's what they wanted. They wanted a yes or no because they were ready both ways to come after him and to bring accusations against him. But he didn't do that. He said, um, someone have a coin on you? Um, Pull that coin out. What does it say on there? Who's inscription on that Caesar's? Well, you give to Caesar what belongs to him and give to God what belongs to him. And you just say, you can just see him go, that's not what we wanted him to say. But what was that? That was a setup 
because it wasn't really a political argument. It was a power struggle. Jesus was just shredding their control of people. They couldn't take that. And every time those crowds got a little bit bigger when he was preaching somewhere or teaching up in Galilee and thousands of people, it just made things worse for them because they could see the control slipping through their fingers. And he had this all set up by John the Baptist. John the Baptist came before him, and he was laying the wood to people. He was like, you bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> you know, I'm sure he would very, be a very good church planter today, you know, encouraging people to come and hear him, you bunch of hypocrites. He says, you think you can take solace and pride in being children or descendants of Abraham. I'll tell you today, God can take the stones underneath your feet and raise up his own children if he wants to. <laughs> Amen. That'll get him some few votes. But Jesus didn't take that approach. He was not one that really looked for debates and looked for challenges. Here's what he would do. He would touch lepers before he healed them. A big no-no. He walked over and touched a funeral bier with a, with a corpse on it, which would have made him unclean. People didn't do that. Couldn't touch a dead body in their culture. He, the, the worst, I think, that he ever did that just sent people into conniptions was he was at a meal in the Pharisee's house, and a woman came into that house and anointed his feet, started weeping over him, kneeling at his feet, his feet was being wetted by her tears, and she took her hair. I don't know about you, but I, can you put yourself in his place like that? That'd be so comfortable. Like, oh, now she's wiping my feet with her hair. But he was letting her do it. And across the table was his host, Simon, and he was saying underneath his breath, if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him, and he would never let someone like a lowlife like her put her hands on him. And then he began to sort it out, didn't he? He says, who would be more thankful, those forgiven a large debt or those forgiven a small debt? So what large debt says she was forgiven a large debt? But it was a no-no. You see, he's allowing things to happen, healing on the Sabbath, his his. Disciples pull corn in a cornfield, and I, I don't really desire to eat corn off a corn stalk. Uh, but they were, I guess they were really hungry. They, they, were doing, they were doing things that just created power struggles. And that's what I want to take you over into Acts because it continues in the book of Acts. I want to take you to chapter 4 here, first of all, under, uh, under these power struggles. Chapter 4, I'm just going to give you an overview. You know all of this. But there's things hidden in all of these passages that I think could speak to us. Peter and John are being grilled. Acts chapter 3 is the crippled man, 40 years of age, a little, maybe a little bit older than 40, been crippled from birth, is healed, is running around, jumping up and down, and people are responding, and 3,000 people join the Christian community. Well, the Jewish leaders, the same leaders that had a problem with Jesus and power struggles with him, has now power struggle with Peter and John. They bring them in. They're interrogating them. How did you do this? What did you do? What kind of power did you use to do that? Because we can see that he's really crippled, and now he's not crippled. And, you know, there's no explanation for that, but we want you to tell us how you... And they did not want to hear what Jesus, uh, what Peter said. It says, Jesus. It's Jesus' name that did that. And that was the last thing they wanted. After hearing them, this is what they said. 
we don't want you to speak in this name anymore. This is a power struggle going on. We don't want you saying his name anymore. Stop it. And if you look at verse 19, this is how Peter responds. Which is right in God's eyes? Which one of these would be the right thing in God's eyes? I love this. To listen to God or to listen to you? Now, what did he automatically do <laughs> with that question? God and you are not on the same page. This is what he's doing. He says, which is right for us to listen to God or to listen to you? And he said, you be the judge of that. But all I can tell you is this, the very next verse, is that we can only talk about what we have heard and what we have seen. We're only giving the people what we've seen with our eyes and we've heard with our ears. It's a power struggle between them and the Sanhedrin. You go to chapter 5, there's miracles happening everywhere. There's miracles. There's, the apostles are just anointed with God and, and things are happening and things are kind of getting more and more out of control. And here's what happens in chapter 5. If you read this, all the apostles are arrested. The whole group's arrested. And they're arrested by one particular group, the high priest and his associates. It almost sounds like they're an Italian group, right? <clears throat> the high priest and his associates of the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in heaven, did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in the supernatural. They were in the minority, but they had the power grip on the Sanhedrin. So that part of the Sanhedrin arrested all the apostles, put them in jail for the night. I'm taking you through this. And we'll get to a couple verses here in just a moment around verse 28. But they're going to meet with these guys, the apostles, the next day. So they put him in jail. And in the middle of the night, an angel shows up in the jail, leads all of them out of the jail without unlocking any doors. That's pretty cool, right? So they all are gone. But the angel doesn't tell them, now run for your lives, go hide. Angel says, now, go back to the temple court and continue to tell the people about this wonderful new life that you have. And so when they assemble the next day, they call for them to go get the apostles from the jail, and they come back and says, they're not there. Place is locked up, don't know what happened to them. And so they're trying to figure out, somebody runs in, hey, they're back in the temple courtyard, and they're preaching again. So track this with me because this gets so interesting. In verse 28, when they get them in front of them, they say to them, did we not tell you and give you strict orders not to teach in his name anymore? You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Wouldn't that be a, a, a good accusation for us? We have filled Tuscaloosa with the word of Jesus. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Now, what do you find ironic about that? <laughs> they not only are, they asked to be. When Pilate washed his hands and said, I am not guilty of this man's blood, it's you that's demanding his death, what did they say? His blood be on us and on our children, on the next generation. It's all right, we don't care. 
Now they're starting to feel the heat a little bit, and it says, you're, you're trying to make us guilty of this man's blood when in reality they are, and they wanted to be, but they didn't think it would be like this. The very next verse is kind of interesting. Peter is kind of like the spokesman for the apostles. These are, this is the whole apostle group here that's, that's being grilled. And listen to what he says. We must, this is verse 29, we must obey God rather than human beings. People are people. Christians are Christians. And guess what? That should be our statement. We got to obey God instead and rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were okay with it. <clears throat> right? They were furious. They went into conniptions. And they were what? Wanting to kill them. <laughs> These people have an obsession with death. They just didn't, they disagree with them, so we'll just kill them. Now, when you, when you follow this up, you'll realize that Gamaliel stepped up and says, you know, you better be careful what you're doing here. And I think, I think what this means is that some people think Gamaliel he, uh, rescued the apostles. He wasn't rescuing the apostles. He was rescuing the Sanhedrin. Because I could just, this is my imagination, I could just see that a couple of angels with their swords drawn <laughs> standing in the room like, okay, you just think you're going to kill them. God's not ready for them to be martyred, so guess what? You're going to be martyred. And it was Gamaliel that says, listen, if this is of God, it, it, you can't fight it. If it's not of God, it will, it will just fade away like everything else. It's not going to last if it's not of God, but if it is of God. But this was the power struggle. And listen, all of us in this room have been in power struggles or will go through or maybe in one right now. And here's, here's the definition of power struggle. The, the definition is one or uh, two or more parties competing for the control of something. Well, in us, there's an internal struggle competing for our attention, our focus, our mind, our energies, our priorities. And it's those priorities we have to battle to keep them in the right order, right? I stood before a young man, a young lady in their early 20s, both of them, and they're about to exchange vows, and I've just started years ago. Before I do the vows, I give this charge to them. What does God expect of both of you? And one of the things I said to Ethan was this. The woman standing next to you would be and has to be your highest priority. She has to be your highest priority. You might say, well, Jesus, I'm, I'm talking about Christ. Christ makes husbands see that their wives has to be their highest priority. Amen. You know, I was listening, I was listening for some soprano amens there. <clears throat> so... The highest priority, that means we're to love our wives as 
Christ loves the church. Good luck with that. Without the power of God. We, those are just words. In fact, in some people, and this is not even in my notes, in some men's vocabulary, they're only words. Just words written in a book. There's no self-sacrifice. There's no priority. There's no affirmation. There's, there's none of the things that we would think Jesus would do for his church. And we are called to live our lives as husbands to make our wives look at them as Christ looks at the church. We, we can't do that in totality because he is Christ and we're not. But he says you can look to him and let him help us to do this. Or else we got power struggles in our lives trying to divert our priorities from our spouse, from our, our devotional time, our walk with the Lord, our time in the Word of God. You will have always a struggle to keep your focus and your priorities in order. Always. Because there's so many things battling. We find ourselves within our culture of not fitting in. And that's what you want. You don't want to fit in the culture. You want to be in the culture of Christ. Well, let's go to the second one, sneaky politics. I think sometimes there's not much separation between power struggles and sneaky politics. But I'm going to try to make a little difference right here. Let me give you an illustration of sneaky politics. Because I, 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 I thought, well, what is an illustration? Because I remember when Jason was on T-ball. <clears throat> he only played one year of baseball, T-ball. And, and I think it made him hate baseball for the rest of his life as far as playing it but this um, sneaky politics just this is this is what happens the coach of the little league baseball team gets a call from one of the parents and you're following me right and their little Johnny who plays shortstop can play it just as good as the little guy that's playing shortstop you know, shortstop is the glamour position in baseball. That's your ticket to the major leagues, the shortstop. Everybody has to start at shortstop. The star of the team is going to be the shortstop. And so what's going on there is politics, sneaky politics, trying to move people to a decision based on the prospects that are my kids going to be quitting the team. And that's exactly the phone call we got. Our son was on a a t-ball team that didn't win a game and did not even come close to winning a game. And the husband and wife that were coaching them were awful, terrible. <laughs> and we, were, we got calls like, we're going to have a parent meeting. I said, not with me, you're not. No, I promise I would never be one of those parents. And like, they just barely had enough people left to play baseball. And I, I guess that's why they were playing as baseball. But, uh, you know, it's, it's the political climate, it was these people trying to manipulate things around to get their way. That's what I'm talking about, sneaky politics. Is, was that in the Bible? Think about this. Jesus dealt with power struggles and sneaky politics within his own group. And I'll give you an example. One of the clearest examples is again a parent, a mom, that pulls him to the side and has a request for him. You remember the story? It's James and John's mom. It's Mrs. Zebedee. For lack, I don't know her name. We'll just call her Mrs. Zebedee. 
And this is a request. Uh, you know, when, when this thing really gets rolling and your kingdom is really going, um, could you just make sure that John and James are on both sides of you? On your left and on your right? You know, she didn't say it. That Those other ten don't really fit that. But he looks at her and he says, that's not for me to decide. My Father in heaven's going to decide. Here's, here's politics in play. People are people. It's just, I'm glad they write the book like this, right? They're not, they're, they're not saints no more than we're saints. We're all forgiven of our sins. And the rest of the group, what, what, what's their reaction? They're mad. They're upset. They're upset because their mom didn't beat her to it. They all wanted, if you didn't think they all wanted that position, on the very night Jesus was betrayed, he overheard them arguing who was going to be that. And it's kind of like, I don't know if he, he thought, i got to start over. Three years with these guys and they still don't get it. But that's because he's working with us. He's working with people. And we tend to get a little political. We want someone else to be the drummer boy in the Christmas play. I'm telling you, I've been there. I've heard this. We might not come to church because not here. This was years ago. It's years ago. There was a complaint that their son was not the drummer boy. And I, and I was like, oh, that's, that's such a terrible thing. The church was birthed in the midst of this kind of stuff. It was birthed, the, the, the opening of all of this. And Paul, Paul faced this. He was... Just look at uh, Philippi where he and Silas are put in jail. They're beaten and put in jail. And the, and the jail shakes with the earthquake. The jailer and his family get saved. The church is birthed. And, and what was going on there was illegal. Because Paul and Silas both were Roman citizens and they were beaten. And when the magistrates told them, okay, we're going to release you and you can go, he says, no, we're not going anywhere. You have beaten Roman citizens without due process and we're not going anywhere. You come and you escort us out of town. And then they get really nervous. And they come and they quietly says, could you please just leave? And what was going on there? Politics. He's arrested in Jerusalem on his way back from his third missionary trip. He's arrested. He's sent to Caesarea. And he could have gotten out early if he just passed some money to the governor. And that's why it says the governor kept him in. He, he could have guests. He could have people bringing him all kind of food. It didn't matter. But the governor was not going to release him without a little bit of money. And Paul did not play that game. And God doesn't want us to play that game. We got to be on high alert that people don't move us and shift us by using political tactics to our advantage Paul absolutely knew ahead of time. This, maybe this is for a whole sermon one day. Every place, every worship service just about he was in on his way back to Jerusalem from his third missionary trip, every time it was together and there was worship and ministry, there would be a prophetic word. Um, Agabus one time took, took his belt. I don't even think he knew that that was his belt. He says, the owner of this belt is going to meet with chains and, and be bound when they get to Jerusalem. And that was Paul's belt. And he even said, everywhere I go, people are telling me chains and jail time await me in Jerusalem. And many of them was telling me, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to have problems there. 
And what did Paul do? He said, y'all are breaking my heart. I'm not only ready to be bound, but I'm ready to give my life. And here's the last part. This is the last point. Because God has a purpose for me. God has a design for me. And it's kind of like, this is where I think it gets a little difficult to discern here that the Holy Spirit's speaking everywhere. Paul's going to have bondage and chains waiting on him. And then all of a sudden, he says, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not going to shy away from that. In chapter 23, and verse 11, when Paul is arrested in Jerusalem, it says the next night, he said this, the Lord came to him and said, take courage as you've testified. This is verse 3 of Acts 23, verse 11. Take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. You must also testify in Rome. Rome was the destination. He is going to get there in a strange way. And this becomes Paul's life's purpose. Can I just ask you, if you was to write down your life purpose, what is it? What is your life purpose? I think maybe Philippians is a pretty good place to go, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. My life purpose is to encounter Jesus more and more. But for him that was specific, he said, the Lord wants me in Rome. Don't know how I'm going to get there, but he wants me in Rome, and somehow this is going to be part of me getting to Rome. And then on the way to Rome, the ship encounters a violent storm. This is Acts 27. And Paul and them have been praying, and nobody's eating because it's like tumultuous water, so you don't eat when it's like that on a boat, on a ship. And they were fasting. It didn't say they were voluntary fasting. It just said they were fasting. And then in the middle of all of this storm and everybody afraid that the ship's going to fall apart and they're all going to die at sea, this is what Paul said to the whole group. Men, <laughs> I love this. This is 2721. If you want to turn there and underline it, don't think that the Bible doesn't show people as people. He really, first of all, says, I told you so. <laughs> They're being bounced around by a storm and water. I told you so. I know they wanted to hear that. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. We're so appreciate you telling us that, Paul. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> that thing is going to be destroyed, but he's telling them, okay, this, the ship is going to be destroyed, but all of us are going to make it. Last night an angel of God, whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, which is in Rome, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. And he finishes this. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. <laughs> Amen. There were 200 and 76 people on that ship, most of them prisoners. 
And the soldiers, when that ship started coming apart, decided that they'd just kill the prisoners to keep from them escaping. And the centurion, by this point, kind of thinks that Paul knows what he's talking about. And he says, no. And there's some of the sailors was going to get off of you. Remember that? They, was, they had some lifeboats there, and the sea was going to let the lifeboats down, and they were getting off of that. And Paul says to the centurion, you better cut those ropes to those lifeboats because if they get off the ship, none of us are making it. God's word is for everybody. How'd you like that? God's word. You know, it's like everybody says, there's a time for you to go. And I says, well, I just don't want it to be when it's a time for the pilot on the plane I'm flying in to go. You know, well, the reason why these people made it was Paul was on the ship. And God had a purpose for Paul, let me tell you, and, and the praise team can come up. God has a purpose for you. Listen to me. Listen to me. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. He designed you. He made you. He put all the qualities in you. And there was this week, I was about as close as I am to Lizzie with a lady and I had a chance to talk to her and her name was January I said really she I was born on January 11th and so they named you January I'm just glad that my parents didn't name me February <laughs> or Feb <laughs> Feb well I'll just name him Feb Feb 23 and I said really and I said what is it that you want me to pray for you about she said I just got out of an abusive relationship and I'm in a safe house. And she was at work. And she says, I, I just need some direction. And I looked at her and I said, God created you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose. And I said, there's two things about you that I believe is true about every single person that's walking the planet today. Number one, you have value because Jesus died on the cross for you. But secondly, he has a purpose for you. You're not an accident. He has a plan for you. And, and, the, and the two of us that were sitting at that table prayed for her. And that was Saturday morning. I thought about her. I said, Lord, I pray that she'll just have an encounter with your love and heal her from the scars of her life. One of the best healings she'll ever have is when she discovers the purpose of God. Do you know your purpose? Do you know any idea what God has for you? Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Lord, we're not all here today just by happen chance. We're here because you want to speak to us and you want to change how we are going. You want to change who we are internally. Forgive us for giving in to power struggles in our lives that really have robbed us of time with you and focus and energy things that's distracted us things that we've encountered that's really damaged our soul put anger and bitterness and resentment that's not supposed to reside in us your grace and mercy is supposed to be residing in us scar tissue from years past Lord you want to remove that by grace and I pray today for people who are carrying the scarring of life on their soul that you want to remove 
And you want to put your touch of grace and your touch of healing on their heart. Some are battling physical ailments because of the pressure, the emotional and mental pressure that they've been under. It's affected their heart. It's affected everything about them. And Lord, you want to rescue them from that pressure. Rescue them that you made a way. I hope we can sing that. You made a way. Because he wants to make a way for you. Would you stand with me? If you need healing, if you, this is for people that, that, that's you. God is speaking to you. I want you to come and just take a few minutes to stand here and ask God to heal you.